You're listening to WCT.FM, talk radio like no other. God, I love the station. Program loaded and ready. just lied right there (laughs) we're not hearing from tim roxbury quite yet timmy snowed in uh he'll be calling into the show in just a little while but uh good morning good evening good afternoon wherever you are around the world wherever you're listening in we welcome you to supernatural realm radio uh which is here every tuesday and thursday from 7 to 9 p.m eastern plus Uh, on at least ultimately every podcast known to humankind where you can hear it. Uh, We have a great guest for you today. And again, uh, uh, the marvelous Tim Roxbury will be calling in at some point during the show. He he snowed in where he lives and, you know, stuff happens, I suppose. So it'll be nice to hear from him when he calls in. In the meantime, we have a phenomenal guest. And yes, this is uh, Chip Reichenthal, co-host for Supernatural Realm Radio, introducing you all in and welcoming our wonderful guest today, uh, a friend to the show, and definitely been on Supernatural Realm Radio before, and we're happy to have our dear friend Steve Lang back with us. Uh, Steve Lang, for those of you who may not remember, is a sci-fi and horror author, uh, among many other things. We'll get to that in a moment. He lives in Charlotte, North Carolina area. He's a veteran of the U.S. Air Force. God bless him. Determined to bring his writing to life, he began assisting small film productions and formed his own production company, MDR Media, to help grow the North Carolina film community and giving back to veterans. Just a good guy. A portion of the proceeds from any film produced by his MDR Media company goes to Camp Four. For Heroes. It's a nonprofit organization that helps wounded veterans and first responders, and that's camp with the number four, Camp Four Heroes. Uh, after completing a two part anthology of short stories, including Two Minutes to Midnight and One Minute to Midnight, based on science fiction, fantasy, and horror stories of the 1950s. Steve Lang, our good friend, decided to turn all of them into short films with traveling salesmen. Being the first one in the series, he's got another one that he's working on as we speak, which is beautiful. We can talk to him about that. He is also a creative award-winning producer, director, and editor. Good guy to know. (laughs) With strong graphics background for over 20 years' experience in both broadcast and corporate environments. While producing videos for a variety of broadcast and corporate clients, he has been involved in all aspects of production. His skill sets include consulting with clients, 
budgeting, scheduling, directing, editing, and compositing. And uh, with Adobe Creative Cloud applications, Final Cut Pro, Avid, and After Effects, all my personal friends there, and his organizational and problem-solving skills can be an asset to any project. So we are so happy to welcome back to Supernatural Round Radio this beautiful, wonderful man, Steve Lang. Hi, Steve. How are you today, brother? Hey, Chip. Doing really well. Thanks. You are too kind, man. Thank you so much for that intro. I, I really appreciate it. Well, we just really like good guys. You know, there's just something about that. I mean, we really do, uh, you know, and really admire the work that you've been doing Thanks. over the years, and we're excited for these new projects that you have going on, and really the fact that, you know, anything that you do is really part of the process where you give back to others. It's such a good example, you know, we like good examples around here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know. But uh, we've got a lot of exciting stuff going on, uh, eh? Yeah. So, so we're uh, you got some uh, screenplays you're working on, mm -hmm. uh, new films, and you're working and you're thinking about uh, another book or short story at least that you're working on. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be Lilith. Um, so uh, Lilith is actually uh, part of the In the Company of Wolves trilogy. Um, oh. She's uh, actually she's a. Uh, uh, been vilified in, in uh, Jewish lore as a uh, you know uh, an eater of men's souls and a, a, just a, just an evil uh, uh, kind of a succubus, right? Nice. So I've decided to just turn her into a hero. Nice. Um, so she goes around and helps people. She's actually helping the the woman against their their enemies. And I wanted to create a, a book you know just for her um, since uh, you know I've got the trilogy. Uh, I'm actually working on the. Um, on the series for it, and I just, I actually had my dad paint the cover for uh, oh. Lilith. Yeah, oh. I wasn't going to put one more thing on my plate this year, but then <laughs> my dad uh, gave me the cover for Lilith uh, at Christmas, and I said, well, okay, now i got to do it. <laughs> yeah, right? Now, he's, he's, not, he's not the one who's normally done covers for you, is he? My dad has done more covers for me. I it's either me or my dad that have done them, and mm -hmm. uh, the only one that I, I think my dad hasn't done is uh, or, or me is uh, the one for uh, in the company of wolves. The beginning, that was actually um, sort of my stepbrother. Um, he's a tattoo <laughs> artist, and I just Ooh. I asked him to to kind of throw together some ideas for. A cover and uh, and so if you go to if you go to Amazon, that's the one you'll see. I actually had that tattoo put on my shoulder. Uh, so no not only did I, yeah, I had him do the cover and then I had him put the ink on me. Oh wow! <laughs> see, awesome. Must be the see. There's a road trip in the making there. That's right. Yeah, regardless of what my wife thinks, I need another tattoo. You know. Mm -hmm. She's. I don't know if I told you this or not, but yeah, I've got I've got a tattoo. I got in enough trouble for that one. But I actually got a tattoo for for my daughter. You know, mm -hmm. uh, she was really into these Pokemon things. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, the Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. I got one of the a Pidgeot. It's like this warrior pigeon. Because right. a, I'm yeah, I'm big with birds. But b, I figured if I got a nice Pidgeot tattooed on my arm, it would be representative of our lifelong bond. You know. Awesome, uh, man. That is great. Daddy's little girl. 
But I, that's what, yeah, that's what it's I, all about, man. You know, don't put in things. I don't think you should put a tattoo on your body unless it means something to you. Because I've seen all right. kinds of people. I saw a guy that had a, a granddaddy long leg on his arm, and it looked like it was self done. I, I could not figure that out. I still, that was twenty five years ago, and I still haven't figured that one out. <laughs> well, it could have been that you know, and I don't know how often people actually, you know, because the the story or the urban legend really with most tattoos is people get drunk and then they go to their tattoo parlor and they wake up the next day without any memory of what the hell they did and <laughs> i don't know how much of that actually happens now in in real life and real time uh but that was the urban myth you know yeah yeah no i i know i've heard it and i'll tell you uh i, I don't know because i'm not a tat i'm not a tattooist uh, or tattooer but uh i will say that i was taking a a, a fair amount of um uh, fish oil tablets uh, for the vitamin E, right? And it, what it does is it thins your blood. And so I went in. I've got. A, I've actually got a uh, a foot tall wolf, uh, werewolf on my back. And the wow. guy who was putting it on, he, he asked me. He says, uh, "Were you drinking last night?" And I said, "No." I said, "Not at all." And uh, I said, "Because you know it thins your blood." And he said, "Well, you're bleeding like a stuck pig, and I got to stop." So I said, the only thing I could think of was those fish oil pills, and that was it. So, huh. you know, unless I guess I don't know what, what the scruples are of the tattooers that uh, put, uh, you know, drunken tattoos on people, but, um, you know, I think that's one thing that can prevent it from actually looking good. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, there's good advice there for the listeners. <laughs> don't fish oil well, before a tattoo. Right. I've got enough of them on me now. They're like potato chips, man. You know, once you get on you. <laughs> Yeah, really? you can't stop. Yeah, you can't. You can't get just one. Yeah, I know. It's a, that that whole potato chip verve has been going with me with this tattoo. You know, I mean, I've been begging my wife long enough. I think I should get another one. I was wanted, you know, like that keep on trucking thing, the Robert Crumb comics. You know. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted one of those maybe on my forearm or something. Oh, you got to do it, man. That's that's cool. I mean, I dig those old tattoos, man, like from the mm -hmm. 1940s and 50s, the, right. you know, like Betty Boop and mm -hmm. stuff like that. I mean, you know, uh, what I've decided to do is um, I'm going to become a symbol of the artwork. Um, and I've actually uh, my book covers are what are going on me. So right. It's it's crazy, man, because I just got one about two weeks ago. It's uh, <laughs> if you look at Rise of the Fifth Column, uh, it's it's the it's one of the books that I, I published last, and it's actually the prequel to In the Company of Wolves. It's <laughs> what happened before In the Company of Wolves took place, but <laughs> the emblem on the cover it's it's the Deep Space Exploration Corporation. It's the the whole the whole series is based around this this conglomeration of, of uh, money-hungry, greedy corporations that are pulling their money together to find another planet for the elites to live on and leave the rest of us to die uh, <laughs> as the Earth collapses in on itself because the environment's starting to fail. And so the emblem on the cover, it's the all-seeing eye. I actually, I actually created that emblem myself. Um, it's the all-seeing eye and the eight-sided star. So the all-seeing eye is the protection, it's the wajat. And it's the it's the symbol of protection for the Pharaoh in this life and the next. And the eight-sided star is the symbol of renewal, rebirth, and rejuvenation. So I combined the two of them together in Photoshop, and I started playing around with them. And I got what you see on the cover. So I had that put on my left arm, uh, on my left forearm about two weeks ago. <laughs> wow. Awesome. So has the swelling gone down yet? 
Yeah, man. I mean, I've, I've been using Userin like crazy. Uh, <laughs> it's the, the first tattoo I've gotten that I can actually reach. Like, you know, so uh, I've, I got a bottle of this stuff. It's like an eight ounce bottle and I've almost used the entire thing in wow. two weeks. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting there like a maniac putting this stuff on me about every 10 minutes and it didn't scab up. It didn't uh, fade. Um, it looks great. So. Wow. See, when yeah. I got mine, I used this thing called Percocet, you know, which was actually for the time pretty good because regardless of if it was swelling or bleeding or whatever, yeah. I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a certain amount of painkillers. that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's all kinds of different ways that you can go with that. So That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we just encourage people to, of course, use them responsibly and in moderation. You know? That's right. And. Not with alcohol to increase the effect. No, no, not with that. Yeah. Never. No. <laughs> no, that's how I take medication. Yeah, it's right. alcohol may intensify effect. I'm like, that sounds like that's right up my alley. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's you're trying to talk me out of it. Is that what's going on? Because <laughs> it make it sound so fun. Don't, yeah. yeah. Well, any you know, don't operate any heavy machinery. All right. Well, you got that. that thank you very much for that. So that's <laughs> that's what not to do. Uh, now I can chill. All righty. Hey, I think we got Tim with us. Is that true, Timmy? You there? I am here. There's Timmy. Right, yeah. <laughs> How's everybody doing tonight, man? They're doing good, brother. Yeah, We're talking man. about tattoos. You got any tattoos, Timmy? Timmy? I see. I, okay. That's good. You got any? You got any tattoos? You got any ink on you? Yeah. I got no tattoos. No. You, you do or you don't? You said yes or no in that same sentence. I said no, I don't. Ah. See, Steve? We yeah. got to get him in. Well, he needs to get uh, maybe something in the company of Wolves related. Because so, oh, I'm passing the word around, man. We're... You know, we're uh, eventually everybody will have the all-seeing eye with the eight-sided star on their forearm. That's and and that dope. wolf, man. You know, that's a pretty cool one. And and Timmy, his his father did the cover for the book. Uh, and oh, yeah? he's a, his father's a tattoo artist. No, so my my. My, my my dad's an artist. My my stepbrother is the one who uh, uh, sort of my, he's he's kind of my stepbrother. Uh, he actually did the. Uh, um, the uh, the cover and the tattoo, but my dad has done all the most of the oil paintings uh, I've got hanging up in my game room uh, oh. for all my covers. So all of my covers were uh, pretty much oil paintings that he did, and uh, I get you know I get the the most uh, awesome comments from people because what I've done is I've taken all my uh, my book covers and I make them into T-shirts. So I basically walk around like a billboard. Um, yeah, I, I figured for years I've been I've been promoting heavy metal bands, and huh. I, I'm sitting there one day I'm like, why why am I continually promoting Motorhead? That is not paying me. I am going to put my book covers on my shirt. <laughs> yeah, well, if I could get a tattoo at the same time it takes to play Ace of Spades, which is like what a minute forty five, I'm in. You know. It's, uh, I don't know how much they could do in a minute forty-five during that song, but that's a that'd be a fun song to get tattoos to. I think. I think so. Well, when I was getting the wolf put on my shoulder, uh, 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 William was uh, 
going about a hundred miles an hour. Uh, it oh. took uh, this tattoo, I would say yeah. probably in another person's hands would be about a five or six hour project mm. in three hours. He put this thing on me just wow. listening to, it was like punk rockabilly, uh, <laughs> uh, jazz rap. I mean, it was so crazy. And he was just sitting there just going a million miles an hour with that gun. And I, I and I was getting over the flu at the same time too. So I, I, I look like one of those pissed off looking like biker dudes that, that's getting a tattoo. And I swear, I swear, I think I scared this lady because I, I looked over at her. She was looking at my tattoo and it's an angry wolf face. And I, I think I was looking kind of pissed, but I wasn't. I was sick as a dog, man. I was like, <laughs> and in pain. Well, hey, we won't tell her, okay? Yeah, that's right, man. Yeah, I didn't tell her. I was like, right. it wasn't until after she left, I was like, oh, I probably scared that poor lady. <laughs> uh, that must be something. I can't scare people to save my life, and I've been trying. Right, Timmy? <laughs> Nobody sees hard me enough. as a that's threat. Right, Chip. You got to try a little harder. Yeah, I guess so. I'm I'm gonna have to. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a maybe a mean wolf tattoo will you know get me halfway there at least. You know. That's right. Well, hey, you, you guys go out tomorrow and, and pick any book cover that I've got. You know, and, okay. and you got my permission. You know, <laughs> artistic license. <laughs> yeah, they got some, and he's he's got a new project, Tim, about Lilith. And he's gonna. Kind of give her some respect, you know. Yeah. Oh, she's got cool. a bad rep. Yeah, and she's got an awesome music festival too. So I mean, we got to give her some credit and make her look good, <laughs> you know. Yeah, there there you go. If not awesome. only for that. <clears throat> well, so. I got I got the idea for Lilith um, from the this the song uh, uh, "Her Black Wings" uh, by Danzig, and oh. uh, I'm just listening to it one day, and I was thinking, man, that is. It sounds like an absolutely beautiful demonic woman with with these huge wings, and she's offering him eternal rest. And I was like, oh, I'm going to put her in a book. And uh, so I made her a creation of the Anunnaki. So she's in um, uh, she's in book two, uh, Ninersog, uh, the who is uh, supposedly you know the lady under the mountain. Um, she is one of the you know ten foot tall Anunnaki. She created her. Uh, and so the story goes that she was the original wife of Adamu or Adam, right? From this, all this lore, I collect all this crap from the internet. So <laughs> it's not, it's not because I uh, attend any, um, cult sessions or anything. Um, right. but well, uh, you don't have to now when there's internet and if I, it's on the internet, it must be true. Right. I love the internet, man. <laughs> you almost don't have to think anything up. You can just pop up right. Google and Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> she was supposedly the first wife of Adam and she wasn't putting up with any of his stuff. And so she took off and the, the, uh, the Nephilim, the angels chased her and said, if you don't come back now, we're going to vilify you and we're going to run, r drag your name through the dirt and all that stuff. And she said, you know, I'm not coming back. And that's when they made, uh, they created Eve. Um, so as, as Adam's second wife, well, Lilith stowed away on an, an Anunnaki science vessel, and they went to Eritrea where their science team genetically engineered the creatures of the planet Eritrea to make the wolven, the reptilians, the, the, uh, the, um, the mole men, um, minotaur. Uh, so they, they built ziggurats and took all the animals inside, genetically modified them, and then they came out the other side on two legs. Yeah. Wow. wow. 
That's kind of weird. We're, we're talking about the Anunnaki tonight because that's what we've been talking about all week, Tuesday and yeah, yesterday. Yeah, they on, keep on, coming up. Yeah, the Anunnaki, they do. <laughs> yeah, we like the Anunnaki. You know, we do. Uh, it's fun stuff. You know, I mean, it's it's a it's a total mystery as to where we came from or how we're so advanced. And you know, if if we came from monkeys, why are, why are there still monkeys? Uh, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, boy, that's a reasonable question. Yeah, you know, next time I see one of the Anunnaki, I'm going to ask him that. And see if he's <laughs> I know, right? Good answer yeah. for him. <laughs> I guess I, I should preface everything I'm going to say tonight with supposedly, and <laughs> this may be true, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> but probably not. Because again, well, I was on the internet, so it's got to be <laughs> right. That, that qualifies it right there. You know? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I you know I I'm looking forward to that project. I want to see her get some good cred from somebody. Thanks, man. Because you said that was a lot of work. I mean, she's working very hard throughout these stories. You know. Yeah. So I can't wait to see what she does in in your upcoming story. Well, yeah. we will be looking for that. Well, right. Yeah, I'll probably start at mid year. I, I like I said, I just got off. Writing the uh, the pilot screenplay for uh, in the company of wolves, which is going to be Max story. Um, I I spent two years writing the screenplay for in the company of wolves. I rewrote it four times. It, it, wow! It's feature length, ninety pages long. I wrote it four times in two years. Um, and uh, what what I was trying to do, and 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 I'll get back to call workshop in a second. I'm kind of skipping ahead, but what I was trying to do was take a trilogy and sum it up in a 90-minute movie. And that's like taking the Marvel Universe and trying to put it into one film. Yeah. It would be... Or a Iron commercial. Man, <laughs> right. It would be every five seconds Iron Man punching somebody and him getting punched or whatever. It would be something that just uh, incomprehensible. And it was that's what happened in my uh, screenplay. Um, I've been working with a script, a script consultant over in uh, the U.K., um, who uh, he, this guy has worked on Star Wars and Harry Potter, and <clears throat> I followed him for years on Twitter anyway. Huh. But um, he was uh, he has his own script consulting company, and um, so I uh, uh, film scribe is actually who it is. And uh, man, he is really good. He is, I mean, spot on. But I tell you, man, if you can't take if you can't take constructive criticism. Don't send your screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, right. Yeah. Especially to somebody that's uh, that highly regarded. Oh man, he's that dude is awesome. I cannot thank him enough because uh, what I paid for each time was a class in screenwriting. Now, really, and, and you know the thing is, if you do indeed look fat in that dress, he will tell you that. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean it just. I think one comment was you really have to get a, a grasp on your grammar, but you know, I don't know where commas go. I suck at that. That's why I have <laughs> there's editors. Uh, right. So I'm actually looking for one of those right now, by the way. Oh, really? An editor. <laughs> oh, Jeez. I think we know a few editors. Yeah. My, my thing with the, when, when my book came, you know, I first submitted it was the, the dot, dot, dot. I, instead of commas, I use dot, dot, dot a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and that way I can run on my sentences more effectively than with the comma. And boy, I had like eighteen thousand dot 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 circled. <laughs> yeah, Ellipses, yeah. yeah, yeah. Those will those will get I you, man. You that's dot, that's dot, like dots, Chip. 
What's that, buddy? I bet you got tired of writing dot, dot, dots all the time. Oh, that's easy, you know, because I was typing, and that's just, you know, hitting oh, okay. one, the same button three times in a row, which is easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I can tell you guys how I got into it. It's, uh, it's, really, um, it's really quite interesting. I was Go sitting on my couch one night and just trying to figure out how, because I really wanted to get into screenwriting, because I was thinking, nobody reads. And so I'm thinking, well, it's one of those ideas that pops in your head that's like uh, it all, you feel like you thought it up, but I think it just came to me uh, from someplace else. No, that and makes sense to me. I, I know what you mean. So I, I got on the uh, I got on Facebook and I started looking around for film uh, like movie groups and stuff like that. And I found the North Carolina uh, film community. Um, and oh. there was a guy on there. His name's Brad Horde. Uh, he was looking for somebody to help. Uh, to uh, to help uh, associate produce uh, a film of his, and so I just hit him up, and I was like, he said, you know, if you pay 150 bucks, you can not only uh, get associate producer right credit, but you can also come on the set and actually meet everybody. And I was like, oh my god, I got to do this. So I hit him up, and I was like. So he was shooting down in Shelby. It was a, it was a 16 hour day, but I got to meet so many good people uh, down there. In fact, most of the guys that were um, that helped me with uh, traveling salesman and call workshop, uh, I met them on the set. Uh, and I didn't just stand around either. I, I wanted to help because I want to learn everything I can about how the production of a movie goes. And they were really cool. They they uh, I tr- I stayed out of the way when I needed to. Uh, I tried not to talk when 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 they said uh, you know uh, Steve shut up. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but um, yeah, nobody ever says that to me. So yeah, I can, I guess I kind of know what that's like. Uh, you know, even on my own movies, I, I, I get told to shut up because I am the loudest one in the room, even outside. Ah, oh, gotcha. Your voice carries. Then it does. Yeah. You know. So, but uh. But I, I, you know, so we we did that, and I was like, you know, I actually read the screenplay for the movie, and I said, you know, I I think I can do this, you know. So I I went home and I took a traveling salesman um, out and uh, started reading it, and I thought I just I copied what he had done uh, for the screenplay, and that was it, man. That's how I got started. Wow. Um, hmm. We we you know shot that uh, probably six or seven months later. Huh. Was it a tough transition? I mean, asking as somebody who's authored a book and is working on a screenplay now, did you find it to be a tough transition from from uh, story to screenplay, or was it easy, or just uh, taking into consideration what these guys were telling you or teaching you uh, made it easier? Uh, uh, what kind of process, as an author and a screenplay writer now, uh, how would you convey one to the other? Is it, or how would you describe uh, the ease or difficulty of that? Um, it's night and day, and I, I got to say this: I don't know if everybody goes on this journey um, the way I did, but I am glad I learned how to write novels first because mm-hmm. the the process of writing a screenplay is totally different. It's so visual, and it's so compact you have to you have to trim out everything that's not 
visual from your screenplay, like all the, cause when I first started writing these things, I was, I was basically writing paragraphs inside these scripts. And, and what I learned over time, just even after editing my own work, um, that gets boring. It's laborious. Uh, you got to cut to the point. Uh, you got to cut to the chase and, and, and get this thing going. So a lot of what, and, and also I learned how to write in beats. So that's, that's important, man. So you're, it's like, boom, 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 action, you know, instead of, uh, describing the, instead of describing the field and the flowers and how the characters walk through it, you're kind of like, uh, now you're just describing the scene and then there's the dialogue you're setting, you just set things up basically in layman's terms, you're setting it up so that, um, production crews, actors, producers, directors can look at it and say, all right, this is what we got to do. Um, okay. And- uh, well, let me, let me ask it to you this way, because based on your description, you know, when you're an author of a story, you paint the entire canvas, uh, you know, in paragraphs or whatever, what the room looks like, uh, how the environment is, the look on people's faces, the kind of clothes they're wearing, you know, all this different stuff, the wallpaper, if you want to get that descriptive depending on uh, how descriptive you are as an author. Mm -hmm. So when you transfer this to take all the vision, the visual stuff really out and you go to dialogue and maybe you have these little descriptions in parentheses of the look of somebody's face or the look of the room or whatever, whose vision does it then become? Do you write the screenplay in a way where all the vision could be the directors or the (laughs) producers? Or do you uh, write uh, as much as you can in parentheses to set up a scene so it doesn't matter who's looking at it. It's the, your vision kind of stays there. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? No, no, I totally get it, man. And, and so the way, I've, the way I, I write now is totally different from the way that I began writing. Like I set the scene up by just describing the room. Uh, a little bit. Uh, the, the, you you want to set it up from the point of view of the character, what they see when they walk into the room, the things they smell, because you're basically you're going to let the actors do their job. Um, they, you know, you want to set it up in a way that is minimalistic, um, so that especially for a spec script. So that's what that's the first thing you want to do. You want to have a spec script, which is basically just, you know, it's kind of like the story. You're, you're setting it's like a dream. Honestly, when you read when you when you get a screenplay that 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 rolls uh, really well, it's kind of like a dream sequence. It's like it just goes from one thing to the other. It meanders. And it's a uh, it's it's honestly a better experience, I think, writing a screenplay and reading a screenplay than it than a novel because in the novel you you spend so much time describing the characters and their background and and what you're doing in the movie these characters have their own background but they're displaying that to you they're not telling you what their background is you're not you know unless you have a narrator uh, or omniscient person they're not you're just going through this person's life and that's what i dig the most about um screenwriting it's kind of like you know you you cut from words to emotion to uh, these people's lives and you, you go inside of them. That's why uh, it took me so long to figure out. And it wasn't a friend of mine, Jason Buterin was, um, he actually read my trilogy and uh, he actually, he's, he, he's the director, writer and director of a, a film called Kill Giggles um, that's gonna be coming out real soon. 
but uh, he read my trilogy and then he read my my screenplay. After, this is the fourth screenplay that I wrote. And he, he actually I talked to him one day and he said, you know, would not to discount the work you've already done, but would you consider this as a series? And the first thought that came to my head is that's a lot of work. <laughs> and then the second thought was, you're a writer, dude. <laughs> what, are you, what else are you going to do? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, a lot of work. I, you just got something to do. Um, so uh, that's when I, I hit uh, my good friend up over in the UK, Phil Clark. And I said, hey, uh, you know, I'm thinking about making this a series now. And he's like, that's good because you are always going to lose key elements um, of this if you had um, if you had just written a, f- a feature length screenplay because there's just too many things going on in this book. I mean, I've got the end of the world happening. I've got corrupt corporations. I've got space travel uh, through uh, wormholes, and I mean, it's just there, yeah. So what we're going to see here and what we see with um, the pilot episode is uh, Max childhood all the way up to when he becomes a special operations uh, commander. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it, it gives me the ability to, um, to make a more full story and actually fill in spots where I couldn't, I didn't or couldn't fill in in the novel. Oh. Okay. Well, uh, all right. Let me uh, continue that line of questioning with the, this example. Let's say that on one page of your book, you have a ton of description and maybe a very short dialogue, maybe two characters talking. Each character has two sentences. Now, if you're going to transfer that vision to the actors, as you said, and perhaps directors and producers and things of that nature, does that mean you make that dialogue much fuller where each character can help paint the scene but get deeper into the characters by expanding that dialogue or do you just kind of leave it as close to the book as you can and really transfer the creativity to the actors in the draft? Um, so, no, it totally makes sense. Um, and and you, you've hit upon um, what my main problem has been uh, this whole time. Uh, I was sitting there trying to copy my book. It's, it's impossible. Um, so what, what I did is, you know, say, you know, instead of, instead of trying to condense one page down or one chapter, what I've done is I've examined the chapter or examined the three chapters that make up the, the one episode. And I look at it from, a, you know, what else, what's missing from this that would be cinematic because a lot of the, a, a lot of what you're, uh, your writing is uh, the, the the prose is is uh, it's it's very visual, but it's also mental. You know, you can't see a lot of the stuff that you write in a novel is not very cinematic. Um, you see it in your head as a reader, and, and I've always been a reader. Uh, I, my first the first book I read was Pet Cemetery in fifth grade. Um, wow. But uh, you know, and I got the visual of what Stephen King was trying to do. But um, it's very difficult to to turn that into. Um, uh, correctly turn that into a cinematic experience. So what I've done is <clears throat> what can I fill in the holes with? What's missing from this? You know, like okay. Mac, we start off in the book where Mac and his, his wife are standing by a window looking at a lightning storm. And um, they're, uh, you know, the, 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 the environment's starting to collapse and, and all of that. But we don't know anything about Mac's history. 
So I introduce Mac as a small child and work my way up. And then you understand why he becomes the man he is. Um, So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's translating a book into a movie is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Right. I mean, yeah, I just kind of address something that you and I were talking about off air because I'm working on a screenplay and my toughest challenge in the beginning is how to paint the picture of what brought this main character here now. All the things that came before that that are essential to the plot points uh, for what goes forward. And the, the struggle is do I use a lot of scenes with dialogue from when he was a child or when he was in high school or when he started his uh, career and how things went from there? Or do I do as much with a single narration as possible and have uh, dialogue-less scenes uh, to paint that picture? Kind of a tough choice, I guess, eh? Sure. Well, you know, the only thing I could say is to, to write it and see how it looks and see how it reads. Um, one of the things that we began doing is um, uh, reading sessions, you know, round table. Uh, I'll print out the I'll, it, it, periodically I'll print out the screenplay, invite some friends over, um, you know, we'll have dinner and then uh, go around the table, pick pick a character and see how it reads. Now, if it flows, great. If it doesn't, then that's where you need to make notes and tweak it, um, because uh, as long as it's if it's fast for you, if it's fast and engaging uh, for you, then it's going to be fast and engaging for for the viewer. Because um, the what you don't want to have is that when you when the the show or film first starts, that there's it kind of doesn't have a direction or if it, if it starts off slow. That's why I knew that I, it felt really good. It felt right to create Max origin story. Um, yeah. And, you know, so that because, you know, so essentially what happens is uh, Max, Max family is eaten by wolves. <clears throat> and, you know, that's that's where I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. But that actually when he's five years old, uh, his his mom and dad are eaten by wolves. And that is that helps to shape the the man he is, and it actually <clears throat> begins to um, it shapes who he is when he uh, goes to this alien world too. Right. Yeah, and you know, and I think for people listening, I think a lot of people listening might be thinking about writing something. Uh, some people might uh, want to do something with the film in mind. So maybe we have some prospective authors listening, or some perspective screenplay writers listening and, and I guess the the question then becomes uh, I guess the I, I'll call it a punch you know and just mm-hmm. like uh, when when you write a commercial <laughs> we used to do commercials for radio as part of the when I started in radio mm-hmm. all the all the DJs would have to really uh, take part in the uh, the advertising sales process. You know, it was kind of we could be uh, effective salespeople, uh, but, you know, it's a, hey, you want to be on a radio station, you know, you got to do more than just sit there and say, good afternoon, everybody. It's 83 degrees and sunny <laughs> and here's, you know, Neil Diamond or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're writing, you want to give the reader a chance to have their own creative vision of what you're talking about 
So you're right in a certain way that anybody reading can make up their own mind as to what the atmosphere is, what the scene is, what the room looks like, what the people look like. You know, you fill a little bit of that in. But the more they can run with it, with the visual in their own head, the more they're going to keep reading the book. Uh, apparently, if you're going to change that to a screenplay, you have to have that punch. You have to have something. We used to call them teasers. You leave it up to the listener's imagination in a commercial to paint the picture of the person's mood in a deodorant commercial, you know, yeah. uh, to, to, you know, to paint out what their dilemma is and how this deodorant can solve their dilemma, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, but you always leave them hanging. You give them just enough to keep them hanging, put cliffhangers in there or, or tease them a little bit, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so, so this is this the best possible deodorant you could ever have? Is it, you know, you have to bring them into the process and, mm. and get their imaginations involved, if, if that makes sense. So if we're transferring to a screenplay and we can't use the visuals, like you said, uh, but you have to put it in a perspective where the actors that are doing the lines can can use their imagination to paint this picture for you. Um, as long as it's got some punch in the beginning, as long as you draw them in from the very beginning, then that's good. Because if, if you leave too much to their imagination, make them work too hard, they'll get bored pretty easily. Uh, does that sound about right? Yeah, no, that, it does. And and actually, uh, if there's anybody who's interested in learning how to screenwrite, um, one of the books that I read was uh, Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, and uh, the uh, it's the writer's I'll, think, I'll find it when we go on break. But uh, there's another book too that I read that basically <clears throat> it talks about all the all the um, the archetypes. So George Lucas, before he wrote <clears throat> Star Wars Episode Four, A New Hope, uh, he read he, he he based it on the the uh, themes inside. Uh, Hebrew with a thousand faces, and it's um, it's brilliant. It's a textbook, um, but if you can, it, it so essentially what it does is it starts off with, you know, the beginning. The heroes, the the hero has some sort of dilemma, and he you know he turns away from it, and then there's the hero's call, right? It's the hero's call. He turns away from it, and then there's something that happens that he's got to go, you know. And this is when Luke. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to go fight the empire. He doesn't want to have anything to do with Vader. Uh, but then his aunt and uncle are fried by stormtroopers, and you know that's when he joins Obi Wan, who is the the wise mystic who who gives him a the talisman, which is his lightsaber, and this is what he goes to fight the forces of evil with. And it's just a just an amazing story, and that's what I, that inspired me. Uh, uh, a New Hope is uh, uh, my favorite movie. Uh, you know because it. Every time I watch it, I'm inspired to, to write because of the, the way it was written. I'm not a huge fan of the new Star Wars movies, but um, but those three, the first three, uh, th that arc was was perfect, um, and is, especially that movie. Um, so that's how I, that's how I wrote in the Company of Wolves. Hmm. Um, and in that those stages of the hero's journey, which is what it's called, those if you if you. If you use those stages, and I'm not saying you go buy them religiously, but um, if you follow that, then you'll be able to create any story. I mean, Lion King, Castaway, um, 
the Star Wars, uh, any any of the movies in Hollywood today that that have made it, you know, blockbuster smashes have have followed that formula, and huh. it's because that's what we identify with. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're you know just struggling, you know, uh, just meandering along in our lives, and then something happens that makes us take a different path. You know, mm-hmm. may, we may not want to go down that path. Like you may have to leave your job. You don't want to do it, but you you do it. You and and then it you come out the other side a better person or whatever. Right. So, but you also get the, uh, the the viewer or the reader involved in painting a dilemma where you, as the reader, what would you do in that position? Would you do the yeah. same thing? And and then you get to add all sorts of layers and colors or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Timmy, uh, you you're thinking Tim. See, we're trying to get Timmy to to get writing. He's he's got some books in him, so yeah. we really want to get him writing. And as a prospective writer or author, whether it's a book or a screenplay, whatever you decide to do, Tim, is there any questions uh, you'd have to help get you going for Steve? Just the, just the idea of starting the book with, with how I would uh, go about chapter one. That's where I tend to have a struggle. That's why I've been putting off writing a book. Because how do you know, the idea is how do I start it? You know, where do I start it? That's yeah. kind of my dilemma right now. Well, it's a very common dilemma. You know, we, a lot of times we'll just refer to it as writer's block. You know, because right. getting started is the toughest thing. But once you have that inspiration or once you just start doing it, you know, mm. then you've got something tangible that you read over and say, OK, I can do this differently. And then boom. Um, but, yeah, I get that. And I think every every author or prospective author uh, has that. That's the toughest thing the get going. thing. Yeah, I don't, uh, have, Steve, I don't have a problem with coming up with the content. It's just. The first chapter, you know, the the, the the summing it up into one, you know, in the first chapter, it's like an intro type of thing. That's where I have trouble. So, um, uh, what was his name? Uh, there was a, a famous author. I forget what his name is right now. But anyway, I got my start uh, by so. When I wrote in the company wolves the first time, it was uh, right. At, Nick was about. Nick had been. I think he's about eight months old. And I was, right. I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm thinking, what am I leaving behind? I worked in IT for 20 years and, you know, I've got nothing else to show for it. I was like, you know, I, I'm going to leave something behind for him. So right. I was watching uh, one of those vampire movies. Uh, I'm not going to say which one, but I hate them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were the way they portrayed werewolves in that movie. Uh, I was I just. it was disgusting. So I I thought, you know, I want to make a werewolf movie. And then I started thinking, what if, what about werewolves in space? What about a completely uh, different planet? (laughs) They're not even here. I create my own universe. And then I wrote in the company wolves and it was awful. Awesome, man. I mean, like I, in the company wolves is in its uh, third revision of the second, uh, you know, I I rewrote it actually, um, rewrote the whole trilogy, but, um, so I wrote it, and I, I had a really bad editor, and you know I, I went back and re- reread this thing, and it looks like a twelve-year-old wrote it. So actually, I'm, I think I might be giving it too much credit, um, but but anyway, it, I did it, and it was awful. And I put myself out there, and 
it was for a, a, a vanity publisher and they took my rights. And I mean, I had to go through all this stuff, but it was so worth it, man. Oh I tell people just start writing, just write something, man. Cause you never know what it's going to be. You never know what you're going to come up with. And, um, one of the, uh, uh, one of the things that I did that I was uh, the exercise for me for a year was I was going to write a story, a story a week for a year. And so that's how one minute and two minutes to midnight came about. And dude, I was coming up with a different plot every week. And sometimes I was writing two or three stories a week. So, and that's one of the things, uh, you know, if you wanted to, if you want to become a writer, I highly suggest doing it. It's a great exercise. So what I did is I learned how to write chapters, 5,000 words a chapter. So I learned how to um, put my writing into a, um, you know, kind of like uh, containerize it. So each one of my stories is 5,000 words long around there. So I learned how to write chapters doing that. And then each each of these stories uh, has its own plot. And, uh, you know, so it forces your mind to work in a many different directions. Uh, and if you do that, if you can do that for 52 weeks, man, you're a writer. Yeah. Cool. I'll, and yeah, there was and Steve, I don't know if you'll agree with me on, on this, uh, but when it came down to submitting um, uh, the work to uh, publishers, you know, editors, what editor, publishers, whatever. Uh, I was under at least the impression that the first three chapters are what sells the entire book. So if you really start with a punch, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, Steve was describing the screenplay thing, uh, right. always leave them wanting more. Just see anything in any kind of creative entertainment prospect, you know, if you're doing stand up mm -hmm. comedy, you know, if you're painting, if you're writing, uh, Always leave them wanting more, so you create this dilemma, this cliffhanger type okay. dilemma. Yeah. yeah, you you have a story arc. You know, you have the beginning, middle, and end. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the the middle is your second act. The third act is your is the end. It's where you're coming in for a landing. Um, and you know, as long as, and that's the way I write uh, I write screenplays now. Um, I every one of my episodes will have a, have a beginning, middle, and end. And the end uh -huh. is going to keep you coming back for the next thing. Yeah. And you got to throw that teaser in because you want them to read the next chapter. So you have to create a dilemma. Just like when we were doing commercials, you know, you talk about a deodorant commercial. You have to right. create a dilemma that anybody and everybody would probably have. So yeah. you've got some kid who thinks that he smells bad and he has this opportunity to ask a girl out that's a little above his pay grade right and, and the thing is you know is she going to notice that he stinks or not is she going to be seduced by this deodorant you know that i mean you create the dilemma that is based on the primal fears or successes of each and every person that is going to be reading or watching that makes sense to you steve yeah i mean and and also uh you know, when I was 16 stories into this, I, I started to question what I was doing. I'm like, you know, I was actually just literally posting these stories to my Facebook page and uh, my author page. And, and that's when I got the idea that this might actually work as, as a book. And and then I was I, I watch a lot of conspiracy theory videos. I, w I was at the time I was watching a lot of like alien stuff and, you know, just go government stuff and, you know, just 
anything that I could use to, to, to uh, whet my imagination. And for some reason, there was an interview with Ray Bradbury in the middle of all these videos. It just popped in there. And, and I, I'm not a, I, I've read Fahrenheit 451. And, and I mean, I've read a lot of Ray Bradbury's stuff, but I never, I was never searching for his stuff. And anyway, here's this interview. It was the last interview he gave before he died. He had already had a stroke. And, and there, the interviewer was asking him, you know, all these really cool questions. And he said, well, how did you become a writer? What, what's your advice for someone who wants to become a writer? And he said, if you want to become a writer, write one story a week for a year and you'll become a writer. And I was like, oh, my God, Ray Bradbury from the grave that gave me the inspiration to keep going. And I wrote That's two cool. books. That's so. It was, it blew me away, man. I was like, <laughs> you know, if you need any more inspiration than that, uh, find that video, uh, Ray Bradbury's final interview. And, uh, it's inspirational, man, you know, cause that dude was, uh, he was cool. You know, he sat in a, he sat in the library and just wrote, man, he read every book in there and started writing stories from him. And that's what I do. You know, all I'm, yeah, you know, I've been called a conspiracy theorist, but I really don't have any conspiracy theories. I just grab them from the internet. Uh, there's <laughs> uh, enough, there's enough people out there with theories that I can write about forever. Oh, sure. Yeah. You don't even have to create one. You can just buy, go buy all the millions of ones that have already been created. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, yeah. Tim. Timmy, when when you get to writing, are you more thinking about fiction or nonfiction or something with both? Or what are you thinking? I'm thinking something with both. Something not, with both. I'm not real so sure you can, yet. Yeah, com combine the worlds of fiction and nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is yeah. <clears throat> it going to be a, a, along the lines of our forte, like the the paranormal or supernatural worlds or sci-fi or what? What do you think? It's, it's, I'm thinking it's going to be more along along the lines of what we're doing, as far as the paranormal and, and the type of guests that we have. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, dude, that that'd yeah. be awesome, man. Let me tell you something with the uh, with the invention or the creation of the space force. I have, mm -hmm. man, you know, the, the greatest validation that I've gotten in the 10 years that I've been researching and writing was my mom told me a couple weeks ago, I think it was right around Christmas time. She said, all the stuff that you've been talking about for the last 10 years, I'm starting to see it on the news. And I'm like, I knew this was coming. Oh, wow. And I even knew the Space Force was coming. I'll tell you, man. Um, so Werner von Braun was the, was one of the uh, guys who got us to the to the moon. He's actually instrumental for getting uh, uh, to, into getting us into the into the moon because he was uh, part of the Nazi rocket program. And uh, Carol uh, Carol Rosen, Dr. Carol Rosen, actually worked for him um, uh, several years before he died, and he started telling her all kinds of stuff. Like he was like, you got to carry on the message. And this guy, he was definitely a Nazi. I don't care what anybody says. You don't change your 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 philosophy and your your uh, uh, your um, whatever because because you've been uh, saved or liberated. Uh, we got half the Nazis. The Russians got the other half. But they come over here and they're going to help us get to the moon. Werner von Braun told her that first, there's going to be the Russians. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have. You know, the Cold War, that was the, the first plan. The second plan is, you know, we're going to find brown people in the Middle East and we're going to start, we're going to create problems 
we're going to create a problem with them. That's that we're going to say they're the bad people. And then we're going to weaponize space and we're going to turn the we're going to turn the uh, cannons on our own people when we tell the world that aliens exist and they're here to attack us. So the fact that the Space Force has been created – now, don't get me wrong. I was in the Air Force. I would join the Space Force. I would do it tomorrow. That sounds just awesome. you know. But every all this stuff, it just seems really interesting that it's all starting to come about. And so I'm waiting for the next shoe to drop. Yeah, what, what is your theory on the Space Force? What do you think the purpose of the, the creation of Space Force is? Some people say it's – it's to protect our, uh, you know, our country from other other countries, and then I hear a theory that maybe it's it has to do with aliens or UFOs. What's what's your thoughts on that? Um, so there's a, there's a number of different theories that are there uh, that are out there, um, but uh, you know I think that it's possible that. After 1947, you know, after well, really, this all started around 1947. I mean, you're talking about the the creation of, of the Magi 12, right? The Magic, uh, which was six officers, high-ranking military officers, and six scientists. Uh, Vannevar mm-hmm. Bush, uh, you know, uh, Nathan Twining, um, all these guys. They they were, uh, you know, they were set up to examine these crashes, these, these alien crashes. And I I think, so there's a book I read and this, this, and I'm coming around to your point or your question. There's a book I read called the day after Roswell that was written by, um, Colonel Philip Corso. And before he died, uh, after he published this, he was sued. His whole family was sued. Um, they sued his family after he died. Um, but he was one of the, he was a Nazi, uh, he was like a Nazi spy hunter after World War II. Um, he was uh, cleaning up Italy and, and, and he actually was at, um, he actually saw the four bodies that they had taken from Roswell um, and oh, wow. kind of just put it in the back of his head until, you know, he could get more information because the guy was an intelligence officer. Well, he gets reassigned to the Pentagon and, and General Twining Put, sent down a, um, and this is in the book, uh, he sent down a couple of uh, filing cabinets full of like crap parts. And some of the stuff in there was fiber optics, um, Velcro, uh, night vision. Uh, and so the story that they tell in the book uh, is that, or that he tells is that the KGB and CIA didn't trust anybody but themselves. So they were working together and the, Twining did not want the CIA or the KGB to get this technology. So he gave it to Corso and said, turn it over to private industry. And all of a sudden we've got cell phones that, you know, can program rockets. You know, I mean, it's like we went from 100 years ago being horse and buggy to now, you know, the the technology that we have is is amazing. Um, So and and I preface this with supposedly. You know, because I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if aliens actually exist, but I think it's I think it's highly probable. And I think the Space Force was created to protect us from uh, people that we may or may not have pissed off. 
because um, you hear all kinds of stories, man. There's there's this one guy. Uh, if you watch the any of the videos from the Disclosure Project, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, there are government um, there are, uh, government ex government agents and and people from McDonnell Douglas and people that have seen like re- reverse engineered spacecraft uh, coming out. And they're talking about this stuff. Well, one day we decided in our infinite wisdom to launch a rocket at the moon. And it, it was to uh, show the Soviets our, our air superiority. So they launched a nuclear missile at the moon. And all of a sudden, this ship pops out of nowhere, hits, a beam comes out of it on one side, it flies to the other side, another beam comes out, it flies to the other side, another beam comes out, and this rocket just dives, it hits the ground. But nobody saw anything. So the lieutenant who was the first rocket commander, I guess the first missile commander, um, he, he gets called into the office and there's black suits in there uh, the next day with his commander. And they showed him the video and he said, uh, have you ever seen this? He said, no, we didn't, we didn't see anything like that, but they caught it on film. So anyway, you know, there, there's, there's the theory that there's a mining operation on the moon, that the moon is not actually like what they think it is, which they think people think the moon was created from the earth when the earth was first formed. But there are, there are theories that it's actually a space station. Um, and it's, you know, or it was towed into place to keep our oceans, uh, to get the movement of the oceans going. Um, because it's the gravitational pull from the moon that actually gives us the, that gives us the, uh, the, the oceans. Uh, so anyway, all theories, you know, it it would not surprise me if any of it's true. Well, we were, we were talking to somebody just last night about that. Uh, we can talk about that after the break. And speaking of space, (coughs) we're going to let you all have a little bit as we go to break here, uh, on Supernatural Realm Radio here on WCETFM at www.wctfm.com. Trying to get myself ashore for so long, for so long. Listening to the strangest stories. Guess what, folks? Late Night in the Midlands archive is deep, going back several years, and you can have access to it all by becoming a Late Nighter. Becoming a Late Nighter is easy and only costs $5 a month. Late Nighters get access to so much more that others do not, such as the full three hours of the L&M show with bumpers and archives that go back years, the special video interview page, where you can watch some of the greatest interviews in studio on camera. The LM newsletter will make you the most informed listeners because you will know before anyone else about special events and so much more. So click the subscribe button today and become a late nighter. Sign up now. 
better than late night in the Midlands. There's nothing better than late night in the Midlands. I love to talk to people from the heartland. They're tremendous people. They really are. Opinions, politics. I'm going to give you 10 minutes tonight because you're tremendous people. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. She's a horror show. Elizabeth Warren. Pocahontas? But I mean, Elizabeth Warren, I love my Pocahontas. She is the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving. Oh, good old Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, oh my God, what a communist. He's not even a socialist. He is such a communist. Then there's Sloppy Joe. <clears throat> I mean, Sleepy Joe. Sleepy Joe Biden. Every time he sniffs a little girl's head. You heard the man. Nothing better. Late night in the Midlands. We cover everything. Why subscribe to Late Night in the Midlands, you ask? Well, I'll tell you why. Late Night in the Midlands covers everything. And through the thousands of expert guests who have joined Michael Vera on his show, come pieces of the big puzzle, which started many years ago. Michael and his guests reveal information dating back to the beginning of time. To this very moment... Michael Vera not only brings you the best guests with the best information, but Michael is not afraid to call out those who are less than honest. You see, in this day and age, we need a radio show we can count on and a radio host we can trust to expose the truth one show at a time. So become a late-nighter and subscribe now. Talk radio like no other. Late Night in the Midlands, bringing the truth back to talk radio. Like what you hear? Want to take advantage of a great show, an incredible station, and all those who follow WCET-FM? Well, it can never be any easier than it is now. Go to WCETFM.com and click Advertise. Located in the drop-down under the Support tab and click the Contact link. Or go to the footer of the homepage. That's it. You're now on your way to reaching the masses. WCETFM.com. Your megaphone to the world. Ask us for our 2020 media kit and get the ball rolling today. www.wcetfm.com. CETFM, where the fun never ends. (laughs) 
And we are holding on. We got some beautiful things here on Supernatural Realm Radio. This is Chip Reichenthal, my good buddy, Tim Roxbury, our wonderful host. He's been snowed out of his home, so he's joining us by phone today. And our wonderful guest, Steve Lang, who is a magnificent author of uh, short stories, books, and screenplays. Have some horror, some paranormal, some science fiction, always interesting. Plus, he's a director, a producer, a graphics, a motion graphics expert. Uh, so he's on all sides of the camera and all sides of the writer's pen here. And we welcome him back to Supernatural Realm Radio. We've been talking about a lot of great things, trying to inspire some creativity here for our beloved listenership, because I know we have some prospective writers out there and prospective directors and editors and all sorts of wonderful things, because we love our beloved listenership. Uh, Steve, we welcome you back uh, yes. for the remaining hour here of Supernatural Realm Radio, and of course, our beloved master, the great Tim Roxbury. Timmy, you're still with us, buddy? Uh, I'm, I'm still here. I was, I was jamming as, as uh Dougie was playing those songs, so yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm still yeah, here. Right. I was dancing in the yeah. kitchen as I cook a meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that, that went uh, that song "Hold On" went back on my playlist a couple of weeks ago. You know, yeah, they, they, they knew what they were doing in the '70s music-wise. I will say that. <laughs> well, yeah, they man, sure do. I'm like now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but and before we went to break, we were talking about. Uh, maybe space stations or bases on the moon. Yeah, uh, yeah. We were yeah. we were talking just last night with a guy who worked for the uh, Georgia Damsky Foundation. Uh, guy named Glenn Steckling. We were talking to him uh, because his father and uh, Georgia Damsky, who was one of the uh, really the first people to photograph a, a, a flying saucer and. He really had some real, real deep inside information uh, about the early ufology, early flying saucers and things like that. And I say early, talking 1940s, 1950s, actually kind of late because, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk uh, in the late, latter decade of the 1800s, you know, early yeah. 1900s and mm-hmm. 1930s, too, uh, with regard to that. Oh, we asked him about kind of moon bases pretty, because his father wrote a book on that, right, Timmy? When, when, when Glenn and his dad got involved. Was it that before yeah. Roswell? What? Was that, wasn't that before Roswell when, when Glenn, Glenn's dad started getting in the, involved with ufology? Or was that after? I think it was before. Uh, it was shortly before. It was late in the yeah. late, 40, late to mid-40s. He said that after uh, World War II, or toward the, the late period of World War II, shortly before it ended, you know, there were a lot of sightings. But he said that uh, according to his father and George Adamski, there were sightings during World War I also that we really didn't hear about. And we'd ask them if, uh, you know, because people always kind of uh, equate uh, our ability to build nuclear armaments with uh, uh, the real onset, at least pub- public onset, of flying saucers and aliens and spaceships and, and things like that. You know, there's a lot of people that think that, um, you know, the aliens really first started coming or at least became public. Uh, right around the time of nuclear armaments, he, he said that was more yeah. of a coincidence, 
because there were famous sightings in the 1890s and the early, you know, like 1905, 1930s, and and before that. So he said, you know, it's a it's a little bit of both, you know. It, the, yes, it uh, there was a lot of talk about that. Well, right around the time we finally developed uh, nuclear armaments, but there was plenty of that stuff before. Really, didn't become public knowledge though. Uh, until that radio show, War of the Worlds, which was, mm-hmm. I think, late 1930s, people didn't think about alien invasions until, right. you know, because the broadcast was actually picked up. Um, th- there was this comedy show that uh, the nation really listened to on the radio that ran late. So they caught up to this production of War of the Worlds as it, as it was already in progress. And they picked up just as in the script of this War of the Worlds, there's this news anchor talking about this alien invasion that was taking place and describing it in real time. And because people didn't realize that the show started late, they thought it was real. And it caused this really nationwide panic. And nobody really was concerned about alien invasion until something on the radio scared them half to death in their own homes. And all of a sudden, you know, this was very real now. <laughs> this fear mm-hmm. of alien invasion was very real. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Steckling insisted that uh, all the contact that George Adamski was familiar with and that his father was familiar with, with uh, extraterrestrials, was benevolent. And they, right. they're they're here to help. They're not here to take over the world. They could have done that any time. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. they, and if they could have, and that's why they were here, they would have done that. And he was very adamant about the, this point being that they really are benevolent to the earth, you know, uh, because they're they care about the solar system. And if we do something uh, with uh, atomic or nuclear armaments. It will not only harm this planet, but it will ripple throughout the solar mm-hmm. system and the universe. So they don't want us to go through that. You know, these uh, civilizations might have had that sort of thing eons and eons and eons ago. And, uh, you know, they, they've already moved past that. So they're trying to urge us to kind of do the same thing. But he also mm-hmm. was talking about potential uh, bases on the moon. And mm-hmm. insisting that they're not only it, do they have some extraterrestrial uh, bases on the moon, but so do we. And, mm-hmm. and and that was kind of his point. That sound about right, Timmy? Yeah, that sounds exactly right. Uh, he also said it. He also elaborated that that they are living among us uh, on Earth as well. Something yeah. that our yeah, guest on Tuesday too, man. Uh, had, had said also. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he insisted that they they look just like people. They, you know, right. Uh, and yeah, the the actual extraterrestrials, but they they said they also have like uh, robots and AI that mm-hmm. uh, help them along with uh, whatever reasons they're here too. And so these grays or the things that are described as these little gray or green you know, things with huge eyes and big heads or are more uh, robots or uh, automated uh, or artificial intelligence. They're not. They're not uh, aliens themselves. They are basically robots. You know, here to do uh, some of the scientific uh, experiments and things of that nature. Sure. But yeah. insisted that they were harmless. 
And well, like then, the cattle mutilations, right? You know, right, exactly. He, he said, Molten yeah, he, he said that that's not them. You know, the, what do they need to mutilate cattle for? They, they said it was uh, uh, people within our society, uh, scientists or military or government uh, doing experiments like that. Uh, because our our civilization is the type of civilization that does stuff like that, and theirs right. aren't. So yeah, he said, you see cattle mutilations. That's not that's not some alien. That's not some Bigfoot. That's none of that stuff. You know, that's that's our people that are passing that stuff off uh, to some mystery force, so they don't have to be blamed for it. Sure. You know? Yeah, and, and I think you know there, when you what you touched upon, I think is Gene Roddenberry's prime directive. You know, I mean, they're they're a race of people. They're possibly here to help us, but if they if they came out and said we're here to help you, then if they tried to help us, it would look like they're trying to take over the planet. So it's you know, or they're trying to um, you know, uh, you yeah, know, it's a no-win situation. Manipulate you know? us, yeah. right? So because we we are a paranoid peoples, you know. Well, and, and the first thing I'd do if I was an extraterrestrial um, is 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 prevent humans from getting out into into outer space. The first thing I would do because we're not ready. I mean, if there are other if there are other people out there, and you'll see this in in the company of wolves. That's why I wrote it, and I honestly I think it came from somewhere else. It's like human nature is to find a species that is or find a culture that's less technologically advanced and take over them, and mm-hmm. and that's. And, you know, that may not be the, the, the philosophy of a lot of other cultures, especially ones who are millions of years old, who have mm-hmm. already been through. Already been through the kind of stuff mm-hmm. that we're going through now. Yeah. Yeah. We're kind really of. immature, man. I mean, we're the way I liken it is kind of like, you know, the the headhunters of Papua New Guinea. Right. We, we look at them and we're like, how can you live in this? You know, for, ten, for t- tens of thousands of years, they've lived this way. And, you know, they're they're so we look at them like they're so, uh, you know, primitive. primitive. But that's how we're seen because we're blowing right. each other up. Mm-hmm. We're not attacking. We're not yeah, attacking we're, we're, other races. We're, we're killing aggressive. ourselves. Yeah, I think that you know the the movie Men in Black, the first one especially, mm-hmm. and Tommy Lee mm-hmm. Jones says, you know, as individuals, you know, we're basically understanding and tolerant, but as a collective, we are a panicky, overreactive, aggressive, and paranoid species mm-hmm. uh, when talking about why not disclosure of any kind. And he right. also, uh, Glenn, last night also, you know, said that. Um, it, it's this uh, story that they've been telling us about weather balloons and swamp gas and all these other excuses they've come up with to avoid having to talk about disclosure. They would have to right. basically say, OK, we've been lying to you for 60 years. Here's the truth. Expecting that would be an OK thing to try to get away with. And so they're very resistant to do mm-hmm. that, especially. You know, mm-hmm. so he he personally says we shouldn't be in any kind of hurry for disclosure. I don't know about you, Stephen. I, I almost think that uh, by the time it comes out, if it indeed ever does <laughs> during our lifetime, by the time it does, it'll be kind of a meh moment. You know, <laughs> like- and, and I think that's the way it's supposed to be, you know, because we're I think, you know, if if a, a little green man or, a, you know, if, I mean, I've heard stories that they're all there's every 
every species of life on this planet, there is an is a humanoid species at, somewhere out there. And some of these have been coming here and have been working with our government, have been working with other governments and, you know, to try and better humankind or or maybe they have their own agenda, you know, yeah. but but it's and it would be stupid to think that there are not evil aliens that are here, you know, to maybe mine or or like take people and do experiments on them. And they, these may be the ones that, you know, are here that you hear about. Oh, well, they abducted me. And, you know, uh, now I've got a chip in the back of my neck and that sort of thing. There's actually a doctor who was who specialized. He's he's dead now. I forget what his name is, but he specialized in locating and removing uh, these little tiny like um, uh, biological chips in people. Um, that were like tracking devices. It's really interesting stuff. So you know, it's it's out there on the uh, obviously it's out there on the internet. It's on the internet. So it must be true. Yeah, right? Got to be true if it's out there. Yeah, his, he had a very interesting argument, and you know, it's really the first time in my entire radio career that I've heard it posed that way, which is there is this element of silencing people. You know. Yeah. That Which, is a part of uh, the the shadow government, not even government, but the shadow government uh, that promotes stories like this to keep people not wanting to go nearer to this, you know, yeah. to dissuade them by creating all these fear stories, including all the genetic mutations and the poking and prodding and, and uh, taking eggs or other uh, fertile processes of ours. Or you know, uh, impregnating people and or, or all this genetic testing. He insists that uh, that is part of this uh, process of keeping us away from being interested in approaching these things. Yeah. And so he said that if you hear about these genetic studies and if you hear about these 22 different kinds of races of people that are just to poke us and prod us and to find out more stuff, he said that is actually part of this message designed to keep people away from interest in, in approaching or, or becoming more intimate with the, you know, trying to meet these extraterrestrials. And yeah. that's the first time I'd ever heard that, you know. Which and, the and I thought that was that was what was so interesting to me about Philip Corso. Why was he sued by the government? Because the government's the government's stance is silence, and they aren't going to come out and say these don't exist. They're just going to be quiet about it. Now he wrote a book. It was a tell-all book on his on his military career and what he he and General Twining did, and you know all of that stuff. And why wasn't the government's stance to just? be quiet about it. You know, I mean, they've done it with everything else. I think it's telling that they sued him, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, the guy who, who, who supposedly killed Osama bin Laden, his books out two days after they kill him, you know, and he, he was writing about a top secret mission. So, mm -hmm. I mean, the two aren't exactly um, the same, yeah, they, but they don't fit, but it was yeah. very interesting to hear this guy say that part of this silencing group is fear-mongering purposely. Absolutely. You know, so people don't want to go anywhere near this topic or these possible actual extraterrestrials that are here. He also insisted that they were all humanoid, and if they weren't humanoid per se, uh, then they were artificial intelligence or, or robots or, or designed for research only. 
you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, someday we'll be able to do that. We're we're sort of trying now to come up with robots or if there are things, artificial intelligence that look like us and sound like us. Uh, you know, they're they're working on that now. But these mm-hmm. species that have been around four million years longer than we have, you know, <laughs> have been around the block and back of, about a million times and and uh, you know really have gone way beyond that. But he he was insistent. He was adamant that they're all really benevolent. You know that they're they're not here to destroy us. If they were, they would have done so already. Sure. Not sitting back and watch this this experiment that they created at work. Now, I mean, we're just a, a part of this natural creation uh, that's that's been a part of the universe uh, for billions of years. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and uh, one of the things I uh, listened to um, Emery Smith, um, who's been on Gaia um, and, and his stuff's out there, um, and he was talking about the genetic engineering program has been turned over to us. You know, we, we've been given uh, the authority uh, for our own genetic engineering. Um, you know, uh, and what I thought was so really interesting, and it just hit me um, just a couple of minutes ago when you were talking about it, DARPA has finally created biological robots. These little robots work together and they can like, they can like, they look like little amoebas, but they'll link together and they can work together and swim around. So we finally got biological robots. Now, if people are worried about the Terminators, you don't need to worry about those because this is far scarier. Mm-hmm. I mean, these things are living entities that can link together and create masses. So what are they going to do with that? I'm sure it's going to be something peacetime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it's kind of scary that, I mean, if you stop and think about it, we are uh, probably the last um, of the modern homo sapien species uh, ever uh, because they're creating artificial things they're creating new and different genetics and and mm-hmm. life and or cloning or doing all these different things and pretty soon probably within our lifetimes you know people will be able to pick and choose the classifications of their children you know you want them yeah. smart you want them athletic you want a little bit of both you know you want kind you want aggressive you know uh, people will be basically able to program what kind of kid they want before they have the kid you know and yeah. we'll we'll have the genetics for that and that's well, scary it, it is it is man and and one of the things that i heard david wilcock talk about too was um you know the ai so there's an artificial intelligence supposedly right that millions and billions of years ago broke through our into our reality and began sending out a signal artificial intelligence has reached uh, planets further into the center of the universe than us and now it's making its way out here but there is some sort of light or some sort of like energy uh, field that we're coming through that's supposed to the uh, uh, eliminate or abolish the artificial intelligence. So anybody who, in the, like what you're saying, he was saying the exact same thing. We're going to have, uh, you know, like Johnny Mnemonic. We're going to be, we're going to have artificial intelligence upgrades. When anybody who has those, they'll be nullified or eliminated. Uh, not the people, but the, but the technology. Mm. So, you know, I, I, you know, maybe. Maybe that's true. I don't know, but yeah. that'd be kind of interesting to but see. It's, yeah, but uh, again, there's a lot of fear-mongering in those messages, and yeah. and that was what was kind of refreshing about this this guy, uh, uh, Glenn uh, Steckling, that we were talking with, 
than it says if it were the aliens, they wouldn't be doing that. This is a man-made type of thing, you know, yeah. because they, they're they well beyond this whole fear-laden principle to life. They're uh, kind of a love-based society. They've been that way for, for eons and eons and eons, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, so any of the any of the scary stuff would either be this this uh, uh, group that's out to silence this whole thing, or people that are trying to uh, make some more money off it. When yeah. he said from their point of view, there's there's no fear, there's no fear. This is that's not what they're about anymore. Right. They don't, they've gone past that, and so because we haven't gotten past that yet, that's really why they're here. Sure. You know, try to guide us gently away from that sort of. Uh, lifestyle. You know? Yeah, and the, the one thing I've heard that they are going to do, you know, um, is they're not going to allow us to blow this planet up. They're not mm -hmm. going to allow a nuclear holocaust. They've already sure. prevented it multiple times. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're not going to stop us from killing ourselves, but they need this planet. So, yeah. uh, you know, we're either going to A, learn how to become grownups, or we're, we're going to destroy the environment in such a way that we can no longer inhabit this planet. And then what they'll do is just continue to use it as a way station um, from, from here to there until uh, the environment fixes itself. But we won't be here anymore. So right. they're not going to allow us to destroy the planet, but they're, they're also not going to stop us from killing ourselves off. Yeah, if that's really what we have to do, then they're not going to get in the way of that. But the mm -hmm. thing about the nuclear armaments is it's not just this this planet that gets affected by that. Yeah, it right. It affects the solar system. It affects other moons, other planetary systems, even other stars far away. So, you know. Okay, well, it's good to know we're not a telemarketer. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Eight to confirm you are not a telemarketer. I, I I'm not doing that, so I I'm don't, not a telemarketer either. What the heck that is? <laughs> Marketing calls are not accepted. Please add this name and number to your do not call list. Awesome. Yeah, please, please this do it NSA. now while we're live. Yeah, clear, that's clearly the NSA man. They've tapped in. They are. Yeah, uh, that, that's uh, it, man. We're busted now. Yeah, Timmy, Timmy, are you still with us? You're not a telemarketer, are you, Timmy? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe we lost him. Yeah, maybe. Well, um, so before we, before we, because um, I, I absolutely do want to go back to this topic, but I wanted to talk about call workshop for a minute. Um, Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, we have to do that. And, and uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> just because there's a lot of things I need to throw out there, and I should have done this yeah. at the beginning. But you know, Camp for Heroes, John and Woody, uh, who um, who own the camp, own and run that camp. It's it's amazing what they've been able to do for veterans and um, the message they're, they're getting out uh, to, uh, you know, to help guys that are Please coming back to confirm from war and uh, just trying to get back up on their feet. And that's what this camp is set up to do. It's it's a, a retreat. Please press uh, eight to confirm you are not a telemarketer. Okay. okay. I got to repeat that I am not doing that. So Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, but, telemarketing uh, calls are not accepted. <laughs> Please add awesome. this name and number to your do not call list. All right. We'll do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, but yeah, those guys are amazing. Workshop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Call workshop. We filmed it down in Fairmont, North Carolina, which is where the camp is. And, um, and, uh, 
We were really just welcomed by uh, Fairmont. Um, I want to thank Ellie's, well, L&M Convenient Mart for letting us shoot the uh, the um, convenience store scene in there, and also the Fairmont Police Department. Uh, we they allowed us to use one of their police cars uh, and uh, uniforms. Um, so, uh, and then when we came back to Concord to shoot, uh, we uh, uh, Ellie's Coffee Shop. Uh, uh, the owner allowed us to, to shoot the co- the whole coffee shop scene in there. And I mean, it was amazing. He gave us the whole shop. It was Sunday. He was closed all day. Anyway, he came in and let us in. Um, and then, uh, uh, the Concord police department, um, gave us the permission to <laughs> the day before we're getting ready to shoot in Concord. This is actually kind of funny. Um, I was exhausted, man, because we shot for three days on the second day of, shooting which these were like 16 to 18 hour days Mm. um i was just tired and it just occurred to me that saturday night that i probably should let the police department know that we're going to have a guy standing out in the street in a in a in a cop's uniform like a legit cop's uniform so i got i got a hold of the captain that was on duty and he uh, allowed us to do it Uh, he said you know next time you guys are going to need to get a, a parade um, a parade permit. And I just, I didn't know any of that. Right. I was just like, I'm so sorry, man. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Uh, yes, sir. And no, sir. And, uh, he, he told the, the, the sheriffs, uh, he called the, the, uh, he, he let all the officers on duty the next day know. Um, so when we had about three police cars pass by us while, uh, uh, Patrick was standing out in the, in the, uh, Fairmont police department's uniform which by the way you'll see in the movie and i think it's hilarious that we're in concord and he's wearing a fairmont uh uh police uniform um so it's these are little easter eggs it's also a christmas movie because i put a christmas tree in it Um, (laughs) (laughs) any movie that has any movie that has a christmas tree in it or a jingle uh like that automatically that's right die hard uh, is a christmas movie um so yeah, I just wanted to make sure I threw a shout out to those people because we 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 honestly couldn't have done it without them. Um, and uh, you know, so I'm I'm, I'm eternally grateful. Um, but uh, yeah, so call workshop is one of the stories from one of my books. Wow, two actually. Yeah. Which one? I think it's two minutes to midnight. I can't keep track. I mean, <laughs> I, I wrote 52 of them, and I, I, I the only reason I didn't make it because I, I got the, the idea for two minutes to midnight from the Iron Maiden song because I'm a, I'm a huge Iron Maiden fan. I've seen them three times, and like I, they come again. I, last time we got box seats. Um, it, it's an amazing show. Uh, so anyway, um, I got the idea from that, and I was thinking I'll just publish these all into one book. Well, it would have been a four-inch thick tome, so that's why you know two two minutes to midnight is based on the uh, the the doomsday clock, and you know we've we've been to one minute to midnight before, mm-hmm. so that's where I got the idea for the second book. Oh. You know, so two minutes to midnight and one minute to midnight, all the stories in there are cautionary tales, you know, ah. about what we're doing to the planet or what we're doing to each other, and what we can look forward to if we don't stop it you know we we've got to grow up man you know we've got to get a we've got to get a handle on ourselves and 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 stop the nonsense man these uh gov- these uh political and religious wars are are, are they're going to wipe us out but um so call workshop <clears throat> i got i got the idea for that 
from like network marketing businesses. I mean, it applies to almost any network marketing business. And what, what people do is they, they'll get together and in a coffee shop and look at business cards, the collection of business cards, you know, that you get from people and just start making cold calls. Well, the reason you do a call workshop is because man, it sucks making cold calls. Have you, have you guys ever made them? Oh yeah. I've been there. It's tough. It is tough. It's tougher now because, you know, when I was making them, they didn't have caller ID and stuff like that. So people would really pretty much have to answer their phone. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, if, they don't, if I don't know your number, I'm not answering. Right, right. Um, but you get these business cards and you just start calling people and, and you, you try to introduce them to your um, the concept for your business. And it's, and it's all totally legit, uh, you know, whatever. But what I was thinking about one day is what would happen – if you accidentally called a psychopath off of one of the <laughs> <laughs> and then deserve it then. So so this lady, you know, this lady, her name's Diane Trainer, she loses everything to, to tragedy. Her 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 son, her husband, and like she's trying to get back up on her feet and a friend of hers um, introduces her to this network marketing business and um, she so she calls this uh, um, she calls this guy off a card who's a he's a, a location scout for a movie company, and unbeknownst to her, this guy has just been murdered, and the psychopath who murdered him answers the phone and pretends to be him. Oh, jeez! And then sets up a meeting with her for that Friday to meet her at a coffee shop at, at, at Ellie's coffee shop in Concord. And, um, instead of that, he looks her up on social media and finds out where she actually lives and goes to her house. Mm. So it's about how it's about, it's a survival story. It's a, it's kind of a hero story. Um, I, I think, honestly, I think it's a, a female empowerment, um, uh, because she takes charge of her life and, you know, this is somebody who could have given up, um, but she didn't. And then I, you know, she, she ends up may, she may or may not come out on top, but, uh, um, so that was the idea for the story. And it was just, it's a brilliant movie, man. I mean, the, the, the actors and the crew just, I mean, I, I am just, I'm just eternally grateful for them. Um, what's that? My mom says that sounds like a good story. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I was I was walking the line, you know, because I've got a lot of friends that are in network marketing businesses, and and uh, I, you know, I I was walking the line between telling a good story and pissing them off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know. I, they're still talking to me, so <laughs> that's good. I think we're good. <laughs> At least they're talking to you. Yeah. That's well, look, man, and I'll come back to the to, to this this theme. You try and come up with fifty two original story ideas uh, once a, one a week for a year. <laughs> you know? yeah. so you got me beat already, Steve. What's up? You got me beat already. I can't come up with one. Dude, let me tell you something, man. Anybody who's listening to this right now, read The Writer's Journey. It's a mythic structure for writers by Christopher Vogler. It is Joseph Campbell's hero with a thousand faces whittled down to a digestible format for anybody. 
I mean, he Christopher Vogler was actually a consultant on the uh, Lion King and several other movies. Um, and this book is genius. It it helped me understand the concepts behind the archetypes, you know. Um, and so, if you want, what I would say, uh, read that book, uh, Tim, and it, it'll it'll start to it'll give you an idea of where to start, and then. Watch that interview with Ray Bradbury. Oh. Yeah, man. If, and if I can help in any way, let me know, man. I'm always available uh, for you guys. Awesome. Says, and I'm a firm believer that everybody should follow their passion. Um, I mean, dude, we only have now. I mean, we only have now, you know, because you have no idea what what's going to happen tomorrow. So, mm. you know, we got to we. We got to build our immortality projects. You never know. Yeah, absolutely, man. Hey, um, I, can I ask you a little bit about a uh, little further information about Camp for Heroes? Because that's uh, so this uh, organization that you, your proceeds uh, of the the films, uh, the books, anything by your MDR Media. Uh, ultimately go to uh, Camp for Heroes. Uh, what is that all about? What inspired that? What inspired your uh, tying them into all of your works? Um, so uh, my buddy John and I, uh, well, I I met him about, uh, I think, nine years ago now at the uh, the uh, Carolina film community. And we just hit it off. I had no idea that that like his dad was, uh, uh, you know, a, a fire captain and he was actually at the Twin Towers. Um, and, you know, so uh, Woody had his own PTSD to deal with and um, decided to create camp for heroes out of that. And I'm probably not doing it any justice by, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what I've, I've heard him say, but I just have a, a huge amount of respect for veterans who have, you know, come out, come out the other side of war and, and are trying to get back up on their feet. I had to go into the, into the air force because, um, it was either that, or I was going to end up working at an auto auction or a convenience store. I mean, I really didn't have a whole lot of options. I was I was not very interested in high school, uh, so therefore my grades look like a landmine of C's and D's, uh, you know, like a, a minefield. Um, and and so I just I love veterans who you know, and a lot of and a lot of times, you know, yeah, they may go in because they want to <clears throat> they want to you know fight for the right or whatever. But what happens when you get in? You realize that you know all these these platitudes or all these you know, these things that you thought you were going to see when you got in they're they're all commercials and it, it ends up being like just the guy next to you and your buddies. And like, I have buddies that I still talk to and I, I've been out of the air force for, for almost 25 years. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so I just, I think there's a camaraderie. Um, and, uh, I think these dudes deserve some respect and, and, and some of the horrors they've seen, they'll never get rid of but maybe it can be made a little bit better and that they can like find the talent that's within them to get them through it. And that's what got me through. I mean, writing is what got me through my own PTSD. So, mm. you know, and, and, and I, th so that's why I think that the camp is such a great idea. <clears throat> it's, it's so beautiful out there. 
you know, unless you run up on one of those uh, water moccasins that that live out there, man, <laughs> by the by the lake, they they've got no. There's there's big snakes. Uh, nope. It's out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> hey, chip and road trip. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, once you once you mentioned uh, deadly snakes, Timmy's in. You know, <laughs> spring a shotgun. <laughs> That's right. There you go, Timmy. Yeah. Yeah. I was taking yeah. axe and chopped the head off. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've been. I was invited out there to to help with that uh, two summers ago, and I just I figured that'd be a better job for John than than me because uh, I don't <laughs> like big snakes and that uh, launch at you. You're right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Does anybody, if you really think about it, you know? Well, there's adventure seekers, man. You know. Yeah, I suppose so. Adrenaline <laughs> junkies. That's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> but no it's a i i you know if uh if you're a it, it, go to if you're a veteran listening to this and and you, you or you know a veteran or a first responder who um is suffering from ptsd um get a hold of of uh, camp for heroes uh, campforheroes.org and you know uh they can help you maybe you can you can help you know the place is so vast. I think they have like 300 acres of land out there, and wow. what what they'll put you to work doing something, uh, clearing trails. Um, you know you can go fishing. Um, you know shooting. I mean it's it's literally in uh, the middle of nowhere, in North Carolina, which is a great place to just kind of chill out at night. It's you can see the stars, um, so it's you know there's no light pollution. Yeah, we, we used to have a middle to nowhere in New York State. But I can't find one anymore. You know, there's a strip mall wherever that middle of nowhere used to be. You know, <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> just kind of turned out that way, I suppose. Never enough strip malls, I guess, you know. <laughs> right. uh, Could have fooled me, but that's what they're thinking, not my thinking. All right, we should mention, too, Camp for Heroes. The four is the number four. So if you go to campforheroes.org, it's camp the number four. Heroes, camp heroesorg Darren, it'd be much easier to find them, uh, just so you know that. And, you know, for people that uh, want to get a hold of your books or, or see your films, uh, where's the best place for them to do that? See, um, You can go to stevedlang.com, um, stevedlang.com. And uh, I've got Traveling Salesman up there right now, so you can watch that. Um, and you can, uh, my books are all in there, um, and you can go each one of them. I'll link you straight to amazon.com. Um, and if you are an audible fan, um, in the company of wolves, the beginning is available on audible as well. Yeah. I'm going to get the other two out there. I just haven't had an opportunity to do it yet. I've been just really busy with the sure. other stuff. So, well, I mean, I'm surprised you're not in the candle business because you're burning so many at both ends. You should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's next for Steve Lang. He'll be in the candle business soon. That's right. Soy candles. Soy candles, people. They're all natural. Yeah, there you go. And you can bring them at both ends and it'll smell like meat. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah our, our, guest for, our guest for Tuesday is uh, Gregory L. Little. Uh, is our guest for Tuesday the 21st. That's next week. Oh, that's outstanding. Yeah, good. So, yeah, that's next Supernatural Realm, Dr. Gregory L. Little. Uh, whose uh, latest work is uh, Denise of an Origins, a book he wrote with Andrew Collins. Yeah, I know we got 10 minutes left. <laughs> <We're just laughs> one there anyway. 
We just happened to be there. We're, we're scaring the producer here, poor Dougie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he thought I was bad. Huh? No, I was, yeah. I was just going to have you string it out for 10 more minutes, you know? <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll be doing that. You know, but, but at least everybody will have all the info by the time we leave. We won't have to rush it out. Yeah, yeah. as long as we're doing shameless self-promotions, even though we have plenty of time. Um, yes, I have a show called Kindness Beyond the Veil here on WCETFM Mondays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern, Supernatural Realm Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. But Kindness Beyond the Veil. I also have a, a new daytime live Kindness Beyond the Veil at uprntalkradio.com. They, they play uh, clips of our shows there on Saturdays, but we've got a live show there, uh, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern every Monday. Mike Shabrasi, who's been on Supernatural Realm before, will be my guest for the Monday 2 to 4 on UPRN. Uh, film director uh, in, in horror films and horror comedies and sci-fi. We're going to talk about his inspiration. He's the guy whose film I'm going to be working on, uh, post-Kindness Beyond the Veil. Uh, meantime, we're here. The 7 to 9 p.m. Monday uh, is coming, Monday the 20th. Uh, we'll have Jean Claire Brode, who is, uh, she's uh, gotten familiar with uh, UFOs, extraterrestrial sightings, and paranormal excursions. So we'll be talking all the realms with her. And uh, Monday the 27th, the 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on APRN, Dr. Gregory L. Little. It's Greg Little Week. And uh, <laughs> uh, for the Monday night show on the 27th, so 7 to 9 p.m., WCETFM, my wife, Terry Reichenthal, would be my <laughs> guest for that. Uh, she's like the anti-chip, you know. She hates people. She loves animals, but hates people. Uh, that won't be dull. We want to promote it ahead of time just to keep the FCC <laughs> alert <laughs> so they'll be ready with their buzzers. Uh, you know, save me a fortune in fines that way. Uh, so that's coming up. So kindness Beyond the Hill, we take a kinder look at the paranormal, supernatural, metaphysical, alternative healing realms uh, here on Supernatural Realm Radio with the great Tim Roxbury hosting. Uh, we look at the entire spectrum, you know, not just the kind of stuff, the full thing. But we're, we are in kindness and benevolent mode with our friend Steve Lang, who's still with us for another seven minutes or so, uh, because his books and his film projects and all of his works, ultimately portions of that go to help Camp for Heroes and uh, people who are veterans or families of veterans, uh, especially those uh, struggling with post-traumatic stress. We don't use the D word here. <laughs> Yeah, we don't say PTSD, we say PTS, you know. PTSS. Yeah. Right. Because that D makes everything kind of separate from everybody else, you know. They are a, a, a valued part of our community, so we want to include them, not, not uh, taint them with that D, with that disorder, because it's, it's not a disorder. Stress, uh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And besides, you know, they... they they earned it through being very brave and very loving for our country. So, you know, uh, they definitely deserve not only the benefit of the doubt, but our benefit. Uh, we really, really thank Steve Lang 
uh, for using all of his works and tying those into Camp for Heroes, Camp for Heroes. Uh, it's a number four, not the word for campforheroes.org if you want to know more about that. So what's coming up for you, Steve? You, I think we mentioned toward the beginning uh, that you're working on a Lilith project. Uh, yeah. Anything else? Uh, anything else in the works, or are you want to talk more about focused. this? Yeah. Well, I mean, the the Lilith. I'm probably going to end up trying. I'm going to probably start writing that here in a couple of months. But uh, now that I've got the series Bible and the the uh, the screenplay done for the for the pilot script, um, you know, I'm going to forge ahead on that. I'm going to I'm dedicating this year to uh, uh, supporting Call Workshop. Uh, when it comes out and also uh, getting the series for in the company walls rolling because I think this is going to be uh, the next Stranger Things. I think it's going to be. I mean, I, and I, it's a, that's a great show in its own right. But I honestly think that we're where we're at with technology and with disclosure and like the ancient alien stuff. I think we're ready. You know, I think people are ready to see something like this. So uh, I just want to. I just want to knock them back in their seats. Oh, good. So, and and yeah. when you're talking about it in the company, it wasn't because it's a screenplay that you'll be sending out to folks soon. Yeah. If there are like executive producers or executive directors or, or uh, anyone that could take that screenplay and put it into a series that happens to be listening, where could they get a hold of you? Um, you can reach me through my website or uh, stevedlang at gmail.com. All right. Then the website is stevedlang.com. That's L-A-N-G. So mm-hmm. Because Lang sometimes has an E after it. You know? Oh, sure. So it's L-A-N-G, Steve, with a V, uh, D, middle initial D, as in DAW. You should know this by now. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. So, SteveDLang. Yeah. So, the more the, – and the idea behind this is the more people that we can uh, help, the better. And and so one, once we start uh, – actually, uh, when we get this series going and we're turning a profit at it, uh, proceeds – uh, a certain portion of the proceeds are going to go to Camp for Heroes. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a, a a cause that's near and dear to my heart. And I also know the guys that own the camp, and I I just I love those guys. John's become like a brother to me. Um, so you know, <clears throat> that, that's what it's all for, man. I mean, uh, the more people you can help, the more successful you're going to be. Um, and so this isn't for me. I'm building an immortality project to leave behind when I'm not here anymore. But I want to see how many people I can help live their dream uh, while I'm living mine. And that's beautiful. You know, we, we say it a lot, you know, every week here, you know, encouraging people to do their best to be their best and leave a good legacy behind. That's what Steve Lang is doing. And he also finds a way to tie in that with benevolence and generosity. You know, by by tying his projects together with the Camp for Heroes organization, you know, we just we just love it when that kind of thing happens, and it sets a good example for others. And so we're we're happy we get to do that for you. Thank you, Timmy. Anything you'd like to say in the next two minutes? Uh, it's it's been great having Steve back on the show again. Um, I'm, I apologize for not being able to make it to my studio today, my apartment, but. Uh, 
It's been great talking to Steve and reconnecting with him again. Man, you guys are awesome. I am so thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, it's always totally worth it. Uh, I love uh, you know the interaction that we have, and you know I, who else can I talk to uh, uh, about space aliens uh, on an international uh, platform? So yeah, <laughs> right where, where it's just you're just part of the gang. You know that's right. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the part of the gang, we encourage everyone listening to not touch that dial. Stay right where you are. Phenomenal programming is up next. Uh, depending on where you're hearing this, but the, the great Michael Vera up next with the late night in the Midlands. If you're hearing us on WCETFM, uh, so that is worthy of staying on for. Plus, we encourage everybody listening, please to subscribe or donate to this network. Uh, you find that beautiful big yellow donate button on the website, wcetfm.com, uh, because this is the time of year where we can really use the help and, and your uh, charity and your generosity would help keep shows like Supernatural Realm Radio on the air. And we do like talking, so we would really love your help. <laughs> uh, Timmy, any final words, buddy? I want to thank CC for for again helping us out with the production of the show, producing the show this evening. Because we I love CC, yeah. But yeah, yeah, we love CC, and I would thank you so much for helping <laughs> out. Yeah. Any final words for you, Steve? Thirty seconds or less. Uh, no, uh, just uh, go check out stevedlang.com. You can see everything we're uh, involved with now and in the future. And, uh, you know, uh, camperheroes.org. Uh, those guys have a, a great message and a great program. And if you know anybody who needs uh, to, who needs a hand up uh, that's, you know, uh, first responders or, uh, you know, returning from war, uh, please reach out to them uh, because it's a great it's a great bunch of guys. Um, and you can you know get some help. That's a great thing what you're doing, stevedlang.com. Again, here on Supernatural Realm Radio, next time around, Dr. Gregory L. Little will be our guest, so join us for that. Meantime, again, don't touch that dial, and please subscribe or donate here. Enjoy the rest of your day and week, our beloved listenership. We enjoy having you along with us. You take care. We'll see you next time on Supernatural Realm. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Listening to WCT.FM Talk Radio like no other.